working. There we go. See, we'll figure it out, right? <laughs> well, church family, it's a blessing for me to uh, be up here with you. Again, my name is Brian Lord. Um, I know that's just a weird last name to have when you're in ministry. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I'm, I'm blessed to be here with you guys. Um, again, my, my wonderful family, my wife, Jennifer. Uh, we have actually four kids. One of them didn't come with us. Uh, it's our oldest, Elizabeth. So we have four kids who are two years apart, and uh, like I told one of the Sunday school classes, that's how I got this hairstyle. Um, raising four kids is, is a blessing, though. Um, today what I'm going to be looking at, and I want to thank uh, the church family just for hosting us, for uh, just the warmth, the hospitality. Um, you guys have just been so, such a great blessing to us. Uh, you have no idea um, what we were needing. And so uh, thank you so much uh, just for the, taking care of us. Showing us around, we really feel loved by you guys. So, um, but with the Lord, I, I started seeking the Lord about what would I say to you guys. Um, every church is different, and what they're needing. And so, today I'm going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter six, and I'm going to be talking about Jesus as the bread of life. And when we talk about knowing our Lord, there's a lot of things that 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 we think about church and Christianity sometimes, and sadly, is go and do. But Christ wants, before we ever do anything, you have to know him. The only way your life is changed is not by doing things for Christ, but knowing him and letting him do the change in you first. He has to do a change in me and do a change in you. And we have to know him so that we will be like him. And so when Jesus is going to, here is going to introduce himself as the bread of life. And so in John 6, 35, that's the kind of the key climax of the whole chapter of chapter 6, where he says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Food. I mean, we're going to eat right after here, so we're going to be talking about food, so hopefully I'm going to stir up some hunger but stir up some hunger for you, hopefully also is for the Lord. I mean, every day we eat. Every day we get up, it's one of the first things we think about, right? What am I going to eat for breakfast? What am I going to eat for lunch? What am I going to eat for dinner? I mean, having four teenagers, it's the ongoing, what's for dinner? What are we going to eat? What are we, what, what's in the house? There's nothing to eat. Yes, there is. <laughs> um, we need food. Always, food is, it, it, we celebrate with food, do we not? We have certain holidays that are just about food, and we call it Thanksgiving. It, it's an eating holiday, and we celebrate the Lord's blessing with food. Because God has designed us to desire food and to need food. There's all kinds of ways he could have chosen for us as human beings when he created us to have the energy we need. We could have been like plants and just soak up the sun. But instead, he desired for us to daily and throughout the day to be hungry, to want to be fed. He'd put a human desire in us that we would constantly be wanting to be eaten, to eat and, and to have things for us. And we, we celebrate with food. Some food is, it's comfort food. Some of you have that in the fridge right now and you might even be thinking about it. You know, when you're sad, you have certain food. When you, when, you, when you watch a football game, you have certain food. We love to eat. 
Food is a part of our life. And Jesus says, I want to be the bread of life. I want to be the bread of life. I want you to know me this way. I'm not the giver of bread. I am the bread. That's what he wants us to be focusing on this morning. And so before I, I get into John 6 here, I, I want to give you the two kind of two main points. If you're taking notes, this is what I'm going to be talking about. And then you'll see it as we express it here in the, in the text. The first point I want to put in front of you is that Jesus does not come into the world mainly to give you bread, but he does provide for you. But to be your bread. That's the first main point. I am the bread of life. But the second main point is he did not come to be useful, but to be precious. Jesus did not come to be useful for your life. He came to be the greatest treasure of your life. The greatest good in your life. To change your desires. To change what you look for and need. He wants to be the greatest good in your life. That's my prayer for you this morning. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we get into your word here this morning, as we get into the text and understand what you said 2,000 years ago, it was for that audience then, but for us today. May we know you this morning as our greatest good. May we hunger for you and be satisfied. May you be the greatest food we could ever experience day in and day out. Stir a hunger in us this morning, we pray this, Jesus. Move in us. Take out the false food that we've been feeding our souls with. And fill in our lives with you, Jesus. Teach us this morning. Speak to us this morning. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Ooh, that's a good amen. I like it. So in John 6, this is where most of you, if you grew up in church, you know this passage. This is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Where the little boy has his, his fish and his bread and, and the disciples bring it and he multiplies it. And if you've grown up in Sunday school, you know this story. So I'm not going to unpack the, much of the detail of this story. But I want for you to see it in its context because there's something else that goes on in this story and that is there's a couple different groups here. You have the crowd who he's going to feed and who he's going to teach. You have the, uh, the disciples who are serving but then are going to find themselves in a storm. And then there's us. We're part of this story because Christ knew that 2,000 years later we would be here learning about what he is showing to the crowd and to the disciples. Because he wants you to know him this way. So let me pick up in the, in the first part of John 6. I'm going to start in verse 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. It will be on the screen, I believe. Um, but this is what it says. Jesus said to Philip, 
Where are we to buy bread? So remember, there's 5,000 people. He's got to feed them. 5,000 men. Closer to 20,000 people. They're possibly there. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them, to those who were seated, and so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people had saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 15. Perceiving when they were about to come to take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. That's a striking statement right there. They're coming after Jesus. They want to make him king. And he's come to establish the kingdom of God. If you read the Gospels, it says that everywhere Jesus went, he's preaching the kingdom of God. Why would he retreat from them at this moment? Because they were fixated. Fixated on the product of the miracle. And not the person who produced the miracle. They were fixated on the bread. And not the bread giver. And what that sign means. That's so much of how the modern church is. And modern Christianity. We want Jesus to give us more. I want more blessings. I want more stuff. I want more provision. I want from Jesus. But do we want Jesus They wanted what he could do, but they didn't want him. John 6, 26, later on, after Jesus will cross over the sea to be with his disciples, the crowd comes looking for him. And they search for him, and he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. You don't want me because you saw what I did and that's a sign that I am of God. They should be immediately recalling the exodus that God brought food down from heaven called manna. That God provided for them in the wilderness. Here they are in the wilderness and he is taking a couple pieces of bread and a couple fish and feeding 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 people with that. And they're looking going, hey... We want more food. We want more miracles. We want more things from you. You can almost hear Jesus in the verse 26 there that he's, he's put out with this pursuit of him. 
He's angry a little bit. Not losing his temper, but frustrated. Can you imagine Jesus being frustrated with anybody seeking him? Why would he get upset because they saw him? It's because they were seeking him as useful. Useful for bread, useful for money, useful for health and prosperity, useful for conquering Rome. Wow, what kind of army we could feed with this guy as our king. Look what he could do for us. But not who he is he for us. This guy could do some really great things for us. But he, is he the greatest thing in your life? That's what Christ desires. The sign of the bread and the fish was to show that Jesus is worthy of treasuring as a good God. A God you should depend upon, not a God to get things from. Jesus is not a vending machine that's right down the aisle and you go put a couple Christian quarters in, pull and get your Jesus Snickers bar. That's not what he is. He is not a vending machine of goods. He is the greatest good. Jesus doesn't even want to be around these people who are pursuing him in this false way. Verse 15, if we can put that back up, it says that he's perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Like, I don't want this. I don't want to do this. This is not the relationship I want with y'all. And he gets out of town. He goes up in the mountains where they can't find him. He sends his disciples across the sea. He's created a mob who has a false understanding a prosperity gospel way of thinking, which is the, one of the biggest false teachings that exists in the American church right now, is the prosperity gospel. That's wealth and health and prosperity, that, 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 that if we just pray enough and do enough and tithe enough, you always got to tithe enough, you got to pay for my jet, you know, we got to give enough so we can get more from God. The reason why you're not healthy, wealthy, and beautiful, some of you, is because you don't have enough faith. That's a false teaching. That's a heresy that is taught by wolves who devour the sheep. And sadly, it has probably devoured some of you in your faith when you go through hard times. It may have eat away at your soul and your view of God because you're, you're wondering, why is it not going right for me as I'm following Jesus? Why is there hardship when I'm following Christ? Because, Sally, you may not have the full gospel. But today that ends. So as we continue here and we look at Jesus, how do you see him? Who is Christ really to you? Is he a lucky rabbit's foot? Is he a genie in a bottle to grant you three wishes? Is he Santa Claus? Who, if you're a good boy, you end up on his good list and you don't want to be a bad boy and end up on the naughty list. Or is Jesus the greatest treasure, the greatest good, the greatest joy you could ever know in this sinful, broken world? That's what I want for you today. So the story is interrupted. It's interrupted with another story. 
So in verse 16, we now see Jesus goes and walks on water. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. That's interesting. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, y'all know about Great Lakes around here, that's some serious rowing. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But when he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And when they were, sorry, then they were glad to take him in to the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So why is this here in this? There's 71 verses in the, in the chapter 6. All of it explaining this teaching about Jesus being the bread. And right here in the middle of this, 71 verses, is this walking on water story. And it's not like the other parts when we see in the other gospels of walking on water. Where Jesus comes out walking and he gets Peter and he gets out of the boat. This is a different occurrence. He doesn't calm the storm. We see that in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus calms the storm. He doesn't calm it. He doesn't rebuke it. But he shows up in the storm. And he gets in the boat. He shows up in the storm and he gets in the boat. And it says they were glad. That's another way of saying they were happy. They were rejoicing. They were excited. Not because the storm ceased. It didn't. But because Jesus was with them in the storm. His presence in the boat gave them a glad heart. Why is that here in this section about bread? Why do we need to see this? Well, let me back up a little bit. If we, something I didn't point out was the 12 baskets. How many apostles are there? This is interaction, by the way. How many apostles were there? Twelve, right? And how many baskets are there? Twelve. Who was that bread for that they gathered? The twelve. It was for them. After they've been laboring and working all day for Jesus and feeding these people with the bread to provide for them, to be a sign that they would know Jesus Jesus doesn't leave his disciples out. He doesn't leave his followers out. They might be tired. They might be overwhelmed. He tested them, remember? And said, hey, how are we going to feed them? They're like, ah, there's no way. We don't have enough money. There's no way we can feed them. And then he got Andrew with his, like, you know, like, found a kid with his lunchbox. This is all we got. This is, here it is. This is the best I can do. And Jesus didn't need them to solve the problem. He wanted to teach not just the crowd that he could provide for them, but his own disciples, his servants who serve his kingdom, that I have you. Not only do I have you in this problem, but I, I take care of you while you're taking care of those who I've given you to minister to. I will feed you and provide for you just one basket full. Just a basket full for you. 
I've got you guys. Now, think about that in the storm. It's one thing to be standing there on the, on the seashore and you're feeding these 5,000 and, and like, oh, wow, look at Jesus. We're done and he's still, he's, got, he's still got provision for me. Oh, what a loving Jesus. It's, it's, it's sometimes easy when it's all good. Like, praise the Lord. God has me. Jesus has me. And then he puts them on a boat. He knows that storm's coming. He's not going to calm that storm. What's he going to do? They're going to be afraid. And at that moment, they're going to be tested and see that Jesus doesn't just have them when things are going well and there's plenty and a big crowd and everything's famous and everything's going great. These are experienced fishermen. This isn't you and I out there rolling through. These men are experienced in that sea. And they are scared they are going to die. Have you ever felt that moment? You ever been? I've, I've been in the ocean. I've been on boats. And you're like, wow, the power of the ocean and the waves. And it feels like it's going to flip you. This was so, so intense of a storm that these seasoned fishermen, these aren't kids, these are grown men who are scared to death. They're about ready to die. And Jesus comes walking on water in the midst of the terror, in the midst of the, all that, and he brings them rejoicing. And he gets in the boat. Is he in your boat? I don't know what storm you may be going through right now. Raising kids, finances, aging, health, lack of prosperity. But he wants to get in your boat. He wants to be the greatest joy in your life. And it's one thing to say, Jesus is my greatest good when I've got plenty. But see, he's also the same God that gave you all the baskets. Is the God who's with you in the boat. He's with you in the storm. And he's all you need. You don't need the storm to go away. You need Jesus. You don't need more treasures. You need Jesus. You don't need more bread. You need Jesus. That's all. And that may sound Sunday school trite, but it's true. He's all, he's all he wants to do is manifest who he is to them at this point. And then he's going to go engage back with this crowd. We see the storm. It, we don't know if it ends, but immediately they're on the seashore. I don't know if Jesus has a jet engine. I don't know how he got them from three miles out to on the shore. I also don't know how he walked on water, but I know he did. I believe he did. I know he did. And he moved them and transported them from the midst of their storm. So now they're going to go back and that crowd is now looking for Jesus. Like, hey guys, ministry doesn't end. The crowd comes back looking for Jesus. So in verse 25... It says that when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Now, Jesus could have answered, <laughs> I walked on water. But what would they do? If they just wanted to make him king because of the bread he found, they'd be like, oh, man, not only can he feed our, feed our army, but our navy won't sink. We're going to get this guy. We're going to make this guy our king. This guy can do stuff for us. Look what we can get from this guy. Our football team will never lose a game. We will always be fed. We will always be conquering. We will, oh, man, this, this guy can do things for us. And that's exactly what Jesus doesn't want. He says again, and we already saw this in verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the sign that proved I am the greatest treasure of your life. No, but because you ate the fill of the loaves. That's just ordinary food. That's just ordinary food that you want. And you're using it as a substitute for who I am. And many times we have all kinds of treasures that we use as the good food. But it's not the greatest food. If I just have, then my life will be satisfied. If I just have that house, just have that marriage, just have that, just have this, then I will be satisfied. Then my life will be good. But Jesus like, your life will never be good because you don't have the greatest good in your life. That's who I am for you. So in verse 27, he, Jesus says to them, do not work, do not work for the, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So he starts hitting on the word work, right? Do. But here's the thing, he's going to use that because that's the language they're used to. What do we got to do? What do we got to do? What do we got to do? And if this statement was the end of this chapter, y'all, we would be living under the law. Do, do, and do. But Jesus is going to use the concept of work and flip it upside down for them. Verse 28. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus knew that, oh, yes, we're going to get a list, a top ten list. We already got one of those. We're going to get another one. What do we got to do? What do we got to do? What are the things we can do for this guy to get blessings from him? And look what Jesus says to them in verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. You ready? You believe. You believe in him whom he has sent. Wait, where's the work? The work is stop working and believe. Stop trying to earn and have faith. Stop trying to get from God and receive God. Have faith. Believe. Believe in who Christ is. Believe that he is your all in all. Believe that he is your greatest good. Believe he is the savior of your sins. That all your sins, past, present, and future, are paid for. Believe. Stop living under guilt. Stop living under condemnation. Stop living under trying to force yourself, I'm going to somehow get more from God. Or I'm not good enough for God. Or what, what, what's the newest thing? Jesus wants you to stop 
laboring. And rest and believe in him. He will tell his disciples, I'm the rock you will build your foundation on. The fool is going to go build his house on the sand, but the, the wise man will build his house. He will live and dwell on Christ. Later on, in jo- chapter 15, he will tell his disciples, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who abide in me will produce much fruit. Doesn't sound like we're doing anything but abiding, living, dwelling, resting, keeping our whole entire life connected to who Christ is. And if you've been sold a bill of goods that says you've got to do certain things to get from God, you've been told a lie. Jesus Christ has done it all. That's why he's, he's going to show his disciples, your salvation isn't in your hands. I'm the one going to go to the cross. I'm going to conquer sin and death. I'm going to come back to life. I am going to send my Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And I'm the one who's going to produce my Holy Spirit's character and fruit in you. I'm going to do it all. Stop laboring and just rest in me. That is the hardest thing for all of us. It's not, that's why Jesus says to work. The hardest work for us is to stop working. We have to discipline ourselves to stop trying to accomplish for God and let God do it in us. Learning how to walk by faith when times are hard. Learning how to love the way Christ calls us to love because it's not natural. Oh, I, maybe I, how can you work love? That's a weird one. We're told to love the way Christ loves. How do I do that? Let Christ know his love, know his mercy, know his grace. Let it wash over you. Let it fill you and change you and cleanse you. You might be ridden with guilt of sins, of things you've seen and done and behaved in certain times of your life. Maybe even this morning in the car ride home here. Everybody be quiet back there. We're going to church. <laughs> If I can reach back there and get you, I would silence you in the name of the Lord. You know, it's, you have those moments. You can't make yourself right with Jesus, but Jesus can make you right with him. That's what he wants for you this morning. That's the good news of the gospel. That while we were yet still sinners, Christ came and died for us. While we could not save ourselves, he chose us and rescued us. And he came to us and he says, I want to get in your boat. Let me in your boat. Stop laboring, church family. And just rest. Rest. They found peace in the storm. They found joy in the Lord. In the storm. They found redemption. In the storm. Not in the land of plenty. We have a great nation. A wonderful nation. But sadly the American dream is not Christ's dream. The American nation is not and we, we look around and watch TV, we recognize this. We can all go, this is not a Christian nation. God's kingdom is not this. 
his kingdom's coming. And his kingdom begins, and his kingdom life and eternal life begins today. And it begins today in you. Eternal life does not begin then. It starts now. His kingdom grows in you today. As you rest in him. As you rely on him. As you trust him and say, wait, Lord, you have to make this happen. What are you doing? You're becoming Christ-dependent. You're letting the king reign. When you say, I need to learn how to forgive, you're being Christ-dependent and letting the king reign. When you're saying, I need to, I need to share pe- the, the hope I have with Jesus, but I don't know how, you're letting the king reign. They wanted to make him king of their prosperity. Jesus wants to be king of your heart, king of your life. And he has something different for you than what this world has for you. So stop working and believe, church family. Rest in the Lord. He says, I'm the bread of life. Eat, devour, you will never go hungry. Eat of me, eat of me, eat of who I am. And stop seeking empty bread. Stop seeking earthly bread. Money cannot give you what you need. Health and prosperity cannot give you what you need. Because what you need is to be transformed to be like Christ. And that is the joy of the Lord. That is the power of the Lord. And it is only done by the Lord. So I'm going to pray for us right now as a church family. And so that's a good one cue for the musicians. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to pray for us as a church family. And I say church family because you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I know I'm new to you. But I want to pray for you, and I actually will be available to you, any of you who want to talk. I know the elders will be. If there is, you're also having that realization this morning. That you know what, there, I'm trying to get from God, and I just need to get God. I'm trying to get blessings from Jesus and not making him my greatest blessing. If that's a, where, where you're at in today, you may have never even, you may be going to church your whole life, and all of a sudden it clicks for you, I don't know if I'm saved. That's okay. We've all, who are saved, had that moment when we went, oh. I want Jesus, not stuff from Jesus. Let today be that day for you. We'll talk in private. Because Christ doesn't want to humiliate you. I'll pray for you. Maybe you're here today and there are burdens and struggles and things you're using, substance, food, money, job, to fill in the wounds and the hurt and the storms of your life. Christ is saying to you today, today I want to be with you in this storm. I want to bring my joy to you in this storm. So let us pray for that. Would you all bow your heads? Lord, as we get ready to close this time in song, to worship you, we we don't want to worship out of action or empty hearts. You are the greatest good. You are the bread of life that feeds our deepest 
needs and hungers. You are the greatest joy and comfort we could ever have. So Lord, I just, we all seek you this morning. Every one of us, from pastors to elders to lay people to musicians, we all seek you this morning, Jesus. Feed us. Get in our boat. We've all got those moments and those storms. They're small, they're big, they're raging. But we need you. We want to know you in the storm. We want to know you in the provision of the bread. We want to know you in every step we take. And we want to feast on you. We want you to be the greatest good in our life this morning. So Jesus, I just, we just all, I ask a representative of us all, come get in our boat. Come fill our lives. Come change our hearts and our minds that we see you as the greatest good. And we leave behind the empty bread. We leave behind the old things that we used to cling to. And we celebrate that we know you. We ask this and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand and worship our Lord?